I have a I have a voice for radio. Mm. Yes. <laughs> WRKO. Welcome to the ripple effect. <laughs> We're gonna try that a couple times. Welcome. Uh, Hi, I want to welcome you to the ripple effect. No, not that one. We'll work on it as we go. All right. Okay. <laughs> a little higher pitched. Should I go higher? Yeah. I want to welcome you to the ripple effect. <laughs> no. Too high. You went from like soul DJ in the seventies to like disco librarian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so okay. we're gonna do this differently. Um, yes, uh, so welcome everybody to the Ripple Effect. I am Ron Waddell. This is my esteemed host, um, co-host Mary Beth Campbell, and uh, we want to welcome you into the Ripple Effect, a nonprofit imperative. What does that even mean? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today so that you guys can understand why we're even here and attempting to do a podcast. Everyone does podcasts these days. We're just going along to get along here. Right. So we just want to fit all in. kids are doing. Yeah. I just want to fit in. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, the opportunity for us to discuss a little bit about how we see the nonprofit sector uh, here in Worcester, but also beyond, could be more equitable and create more equitable opportunities for the community as a whole. And um, I think that part of it for us is this unique relationship that Mary Beth and I developed. Uh, and we'll get into that. I am the uh, director, executive director, and co founder of Legendary Legacies, a nonprofit here in the city of Worcester, Massachusetts, that works with returning citizens and has a mission that is dedicated to interrupting cycles of incarceration, poverty, and racism. And Mary Beth, if you want to introduce yourself formally. I am the Executive Director of Worcester Community Action Council. We're an anti-poverty agency in central Massachusetts uh, with a vision to break the cycle of poverty one neighbor at a time. And I think that's the way we look at the world, that our community is our neighbor and we have a imperative, which is where our subtitle kind of comes from, of working in our community with our neighbors and our partners. And I, I'm newer to the Worcester nonprofit scene in some ways. Uh, Legendary was found in 2018. Mary Beth came to take over that position. 2019. In 2019. 2019. Yeah, I just hit my four-year mark. Four years. Yeah. Oh, I did. I saw that on LinkedIn. And in dog years if, with COVID. So it's like 14 years. <laughs> COVID <laughs> gives you dog years. <laughs> yes. Um, and so we've, uh, that's actually how I met Mary Beth. I was actually working at Worcester Community Action Council and I had this nonprofit already started, 501c3. Um, and we were able to work together to help focus on the population that I serve, but with, with immense help from Worcester Community Action Council and Legendary Legacies. And so how that came together is part of the story, but it really isn't about that. Uh, that's just kind of the... Uh, backdrop or the trellis for the conversation that we think can be a lot larger than that. Yeah. I think you and I have had so many conversations over the years, but most recently too, um, there's so many dimensions to this opportunity, the story that has our partnership and friendship, dare I say, threaded into it. Um, that I think we have realized some of the bigger picture connections to how, what we have tried to do successfully with flaws um, can maybe be modeled and replicated in the context of some of the challenges that our community is facing in the nonprofit world right now, just even in our, in the broad you know, comparison to the world, our small city um, in realizing what's happening in our community with our nonprofits of all sizes, like, Oh wait, we've actually, we formed this partnership that might have some ideas behind it that, felt like it was important to share and want to share and tell our story and kind of grow from there. Yeah, absolutely. And a huge shout out to our producer, Barrio Esco of Death to Life Productions, yes. because initially when we approached Mario, we were like, hey, we're going to do like a two and a half minute video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were going to tweet a video. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. We're gonna, hey, Mario, let's, let us kind of kick around our ideas and say what we yeah. want to do. And then he patiently listened to us talk for like, Two and a half hours. He's like, I think you guys have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, so all the more reason um, to help you guys understand why we're here 
uh, and how we got here. The other thing that our listeners should know that you can't see that I can see as I'm sitting here are the fuchsia pumps that Mary Beth oh, is wearing. Yes. Them things is on point and uh, they really just liven up everything that's going on. My sho- if I'm not known for the substance of my work, I'm at least known for my shoes. I'm like the Imelda Marcos of nonprofits, I guess. Like I'm lost. I don't even know who Imelda Marcos <laughs> is. I'm about as good as Nike was, and maybe not, she Red She doesn't have bottles. a great story, but she was known for her shoes also on this side. Gotcha. <laughs> I, gotcha. Shouldn't, I shouldn't really compare myself to her, but... Uh, but you are fashionable. I try to be. Yeah. Yeah. So know. that's what makes, I have a keen eye for fashion as well. So yeah, I, I would concur with you as well. You I really uh, stepped up your game. A lot of colors. Just trying to, you know, kind of, yes. you got fuchsia pumps. I got to do something. You could do matching things. I forgot we were going to be on video also. So I was, you know, I could have, you know, stepped up my game a little bit, but. There's, there'll be another episode. Yes. I'm going to have to buy more shoes. Mario's going to have to pan down. <laughs> to, the, to the cankly shoes. For sure. In, 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 um, for, for us, the, uh, ripple effect is a idea that this conversation and this podcast could be something that is a drop in the yeah. bucket or in the in the ocean. Yeah, and I think just that this isn't necessarily about us, like you said, either as individuals or professionals or even individual nonprofits. But we we tried this idea that has worked in many ways and has had challenges in other ways, and we just feel like. It's maybe it's not that unique, but we can engage other people in the conversation. And um, I think the last year in particular, um, it, I've been thinking a lot about like as a larger lead of a larger nonprofit, like where do we have some responsibility in this work? In addition to delivering the services and programs, how are we part of the ecosystem that we're not just selfishly in it ourselves and operate independently, but how are we working in better partnerships with people? So, and I think, you know, for all the things we've tried to do together, good, bad, ugly, and otherwise, um, which we'll get into lots of details about, um, there's a lot of lessons learned and I feel like other people can contribute to what they're doing too, you know? I think at this point it would be, like we should tell them what the idea is. Yeah. Like we've like alluded to it a couple different times, like this partnership, this idea, uh, what it is, what it came to be. Um, and we'll go into more detail in future episodes, but one of the things that, uh, building off of what you just said about being a larger nonprofit in the city as a, as a grassroots startup nonprofit, not having been involved in any nonprofit work, um, for the majority of my working career, I was in a private sector. Um, when I started Legendary Legacies in 2018, um, I really had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, It kind of fell in our lap that the organization I was working for at the time uh, needed to move away from a grant that was funding my position. Uh, We'll put a pin in that and come back to that for future folks. Like funding positions and grant stopping. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, that's so many. That's a lot of our conversations. Like, oh, we could talk about this. We could talk about that. You know what I mean? Um, But that's how I ended up in this position. And the grant that the organization previously that I was working with ended up at Worcester Community Action Council about a year before you came on. Yeah, around that timeline, yep. Yeah. Uh, but I had already started the nonprofit, and so I was working for Worcester Community Action Council while trying to grow this nonprofit. And the crux of the ripple effect is how we worked through that messy relationship and arrived at a partnership in which, uh, straight up, I'll say, like, we wouldn't be here without uh, the support of Worcester Community Action Council and their willingness to use trust-based philanthropy. Can we call that philanthropy? Maybe a little bit. Maybe because I come from that background, so my natural disposition is to think that way. So you might be called that way. But I think, I mean, that's kind of also the part of this ripple effect conversation is, you know, we're not a grant funder, you know, but we have these resources that I think we can apply to maximize and optimize the system a little more. Yes. Oh, closer. Closer, sir. Mr. DeVille. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You got to get right in there. Sorry. I feel like it's just touching my lips. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I can, I can do that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think that's part of, that's part of this is in you and I have, I can't believe we're sitting at this table actually right now doing this for so many reasons. Cause not the least of which is like, not 
trying to avoid being ego driven for one, but also you've said so many times to me, like, we should talk about this. We should talk about this story. And I was always like, no, like we just, we, we had a need, you had a need. We figured out how those needs could meet each other. And we made a decision, you know, and that in my, in the early days, uh, that was that, you know, and that I just think looking back, it's like, oh no, there's way more to this that we ought to take more advantage of and do more ourselves. And then can we somehow influence, encourage, or send ideas similar, you know, and maybe there are, there's maybe there are similar things happening that we just don't know about too. Yeah. I think that for, me on this end and you saying you're not a grant funder, uh, but the willingness to think of that and be like, it's just kind of what we did. I think about that in respect to the work that we do with our participants as well. Like I always get weirded out when like they give an award to us for like the work we do. You're like, like, I'm just doing the work. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. It's, I, I have that same mindset and I, it's like in family DNA, I think a little bit too, but I, I think one of the things that I'm not great at in my job is talking about the stuff that we do. It's like, well, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, yeah. like I don't want to brag. I'm, I, I don't always understand or embrace the idea of this idea of bragging, you know, and it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing it that it's actually not bragging. Like we have to talk about the work cause it's so important. But at the end of the day, like if I'm choosing client story and help over like, you know, patting ourselves on the back or making it look that way, that I'll choose client 10 times a day, twice on Sunday, you know? So it's just, it's a hard concept to embrace in an egoless way, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the ability though, I think for you to come in with that mindset um, and not just you, but the, the, I think as we talk about the ripple effect, having that mindset in this sector of what is the best thing for the community what is the best overall outcome? Um, I think sometimes what I've seen, and there's even challenges for me as a smaller nonprofit of being like, I'll just develop a program that does that when there's somebody already doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think this is that conversation and thread, which is a whole other probably four episodes is, you know, this idea of efficiency and, or it, as in juxtaposed around like oversaturation. And I, I, my thinking in our conversations kind of stem from trying to push back against that a little bit of, you know, I think in a market like Worcester, I don't really believe we're oversaturated with nonprofits, but I think because there aren't as many tools and resources to build capacity across the ecosystem equally or equitably that it can seem like there's redundancy or this idea of like, well, I'm going to do this because I don't like the way so-and-so is doing it or they're not doing it as well as I would do it, which I actually don't think is a bad thing, you know? Yeah. And then what's the opportunity to work together? Um, and that's kind of where I, where my thinking and like the lessons that I'm kind of learning about being a better listener as a, long, a larger nonprofit leader of like, where are the needs, not just for our clients, but how do we make the ecosystem stronger? Because ultimately we all need to serve the community. And for me, like in the position that I'm in, I, I want to be able to share on the podcast from my experiences, what I've learned, knees I've scraped and all that uh, growing a nonprofit. But there are some things that we, we've talked about this off offline, but there are some things that legendary legacies embodied and did that engendered you to do kind of what you did. Yes. And yeah, so... Yeah. It's also because here's the other side of it that I hear a lot. Um, They're not giving us money because they don't like us. Um, They're they're not investing in us because of X or Y or because Z. And one of the things for me, understanding that there are systemic inequities there that exist, but who I am as an individual, really, I there's this guy uh, Jocko Wilnick. You may listen to him. He has a, a book, and he really preaches this thing called extreme ownership. And so if I didn't get the funding, like I want to know yeah. what I did or didn't do. I always look internally first. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, was there something I could have done differently? Um, and I think, again, not just to make it about me, but that mindset of being able to look and say, what could we do different? Uh, what could we do better? Is similar to what you're saying on your end, right? Like, what could we do different? What could we do to better support the ecosystem in the nonprofit sector? 
And so I'm saying on this end for us as well, as a newer grassroots who's coming up, what are some of those things that we can do? And I hope to be able to share some of those that folks can pull from and take from and implement. There are a ton of things that we, <laughs> we did that worked. There were some that didn't. We gave $5,000 to um, an organization to help market us. And I remember the first time I got the results from the marketing, I saw, showed a friend of mine who's, uh, her degree is in uh, marketing and social media. So I showed her, I was like, look at these numbers. Like, what do you think? And she's like, you could have got that with $500 in a, on Facebook. Two-minute video on, on Facebook posts. Yeah. She was like, Facebook posts would have, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, a couple things, like in hearing what you're saying, like when, some, when an organization doesn't get funding, there's not always a feedback loop either, you know? There's sometimes that door gets closed. So there isn't always a feedback loop. So I think it is important to look at like, well, how could we do better? Or where are we... How do we understand like where our role is in the community versus not, or you know whatever um, the scenario is? But there's not always that feedback loop, which I think is a missed opportunity. Number one, um, and there isn't capacity. Always there is capacity building that exists, um, but it doesn't always target things like that. You know, how do you maximize social media um, for low cost and you know things like that? You, don't, you just don't think about, especially when you're trying to do the day to day. Yeah, that you know? that is very true when you're yeah. trying to do the work yeah. and yeah. grow. Right. And yours, I mean, that it, that is true for our organization which is 30 million dollars, 130 people. We're just short of that. I mean, we we were like 29 million behind. <laughs> you. I mean, a little ways to go. <laughs> uh but I think that's that's kind of the point too is like your your the struggles that you have as a growing nonprofit and the pains of growth and your we're we're not huge. I wouldn't even consider as large. We're kind of like in this in-between space. So, you know, I that, don't, that's not encouraging because that's what I, I tell know, my team is that we're in an in-between space <laughs> yes, and that we're going to be large. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I call them therapy groups, but I'm in a couple of like CEO ED groups. You I know, need to be we, in one. I know we got to get you in the loop on that. But I mean, and that's, that's the other point of capacity ability is like, where's your therapy, right? So, um, and that's, it's so important to have. Um, and I think that's where you realize even I sit at the table as a newer uh, executive versus a veteran that's been there 20, 30, and they're talking about the same challenges. And it's both validating and really scary at the same time. It's like, wait, you haven't figured this out yet either. Mm. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm not crazy that I'm experiencing this too. I wanted to go back to something you mentioned about not always having the feedback loop yeah. um, when the funding doesn't come through or, or whatever reason. Um I agree with that. That's definitely a thing. What I have chosen to do and what I would encourage others is like, I would call yeah. and say, so I didn't get the funding. Uh, what was it that kept it? Like they don't, they didn't have a formal yeah. process yeah. of why. Um, but those are some of the things that I think as a smaller, like they, no one told me that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a matter like when I did it, they were willing to talk to me. Yeah. Um, and it was difficult because I had made up in my head all the same things. Yeah. Um, they didn't fund for this reason. Or um, it, 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 I would say even it was it's vulnerable as a smaller organization to put yourself out there, apply for $5,000. Even it's like, oh, well, I want to make sure it's yeah. my only time I'm interfacing with this entity. Will How do I show up? Will they ignore me next time and all these things? So it's really a lot of anxiety inducing, especially that early on. Like I'm trying to find funding to yeah. make things happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so being able to um, open yourself up and go there, the work that goes in uh, as a $30 million organization. Um, I know you have grant writer that are dedicated to right. doing that work yeah. on this. And it's like, you know, everyone's, uh, everyone's, yeah. everyone's wearing yeah. seven different hats. I'm writing the grant at two in the morning. Yeah. You're trying to get it out. <laughs> and then it's like, I did all this work and you there's a no. To what end? Yeah. To get a no. Well, that is, I think that goes back a little bit to our origin story too, of even the conversations that we had, you and I had. And um, at the time, the woman who was running the job and education center, I think we went back and forth about even the struggles of our being able to support some of the work that you wanted to do, you know, whether it was being able to give someone a ride versus we were breaking you know, rules. Yeah, breaking rules. And I think that's where part of where we, at least I realized I was like, I can't get in their way, you know, but I also can't help this either. You know, like we have 
this liability that we have to be concerned about. And, you know, we're not a 24 seven shop and, um, you know, as you know, I tried to get you to stay as an employee. <laughs> very best tried, very hard. Tried. Um, uh, I think I knew, I knew the outcome of the answer anyway, but you know, the thing I, the only thing I can ask for in people that work for me is like, do you have the passion to do the work? So that part was obvious, but as a highly regulated, organized, larger organization, there was risk I couldn't take. And so the risk of then saying like, all right, we got to, you're, if you want to go out on your own, that's what you, I don't, I can't support what you want to do here as an employee, but um, we have a need in this particular program, the Save and Successful Youth Initiative, as it happens, it, it was the program that we're working on. And um, it was, there was some um, advantage of timing that happened in terms of some contract redistribution. And we took advantage of an opportunity that came to us um, where you had established the nonprofit. You, it was not, not that it was untenable, but it wasn't going to work the way we needed it to work with you as an employee. Um, and so we took this other avenue and from it, I think has like spawned some other really good opportunities and ideas of like how we're even sitting at this table today to talk about this. One of the highly regulated issues of Worcester Community Action Council that made it really unattractive, which I get, was the uh, salary structure. Yes. And so yeah. I remember yeah. having that conversation yeah. and being like, all right, great. So if we stay and we grow this program uh, to yeah. half a million, a million, whatever it is. And it was just like, but I have this structure already that would put you into this yeah. bracket. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the ones I was just like, you know, yeah, that's a date. And I think that's, that's the struggle of nonprofit. You know, I always say this, but you eat what you kill, mm. you know? And for our agency, we have a lot of federal dollars that are very formulaic. And um, this is true across multiple programs from our Head Start program to our fuel assistance program. You know, I, I, I could run four different nonprofits within right. the agency. And so trying to create equity and parity in pay while also managing different levels of budgets and formulas for how much admin you get and how much admin you don't get. Um, those are, those are big challenges. We've made a huge amount of headway over the last four years around pay transparency and increasing wages and trying to keep pace with that. And, um, you know, we're above livable wages according to the MIT calculator. We can argue what livable wages in central mass. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's the challenge is how do you, how do you attract and retain talent in a nonprofit setting competing? Um, you know, we run an energy program. We were just talking about this and the energy sector is booming. Uh, it's commission-based pay. Uh, and we run parallel programs that are formulaically paid. Um, so it, those are constant challenges as a, any nonprofit I think has to face. We are able to, uh, I think adjust more flexibly than others in some ways, but it's that is something that we had to consider that we were putting you in a box, um, and it wasn't a box that ultimately was going to value us or, frankly, the community based on how much LL has grown over the last few years too. And we were able to construct a subcontract that uh, we could put a little bit of money up front too to mitigate uh, your the cash flow. Cash flow yeah. is the that's a huge. So that's another conversation that's yeah. a thread is the reimbursements. Yeah. Um, for those who may not be familiar, listening to the podcast, what reimbursement grants are, they are exactly what they sound like. You have to spend the money and then the foundation and or entity will reimburse you the funds. And so there is a, um, there's a net lag time as you wait for those funds to come through. And um, as a smaller organization, not having the reserves to be able to buffer that uh, that delay in pay, um, the Worcester Community Action Council has really stepped in. And again, it's not as a grant grantor. Right, right. Uh, but a very, it was extremely beneficial and I think an innovative and I'm grateful um, way to think about what you expressed so eloquently earlier about impacting the broader ecosystem. Right. Yeah. You know? And this is, Back to the ripple effect. I think we're looking, and this is, I would, I'm not going to say new thinking. I think the partnership between WCAC and LL 
began with this very plain origin of we had a need, you had a need, we figured out how to do that. And then it is sometimes personality-based too. This is relationship-based also. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge is like will and desire, you know? Like, can we figure out how to make it work? And sometimes I operate, I don't know that my board necessarily wants to hear this, but sometimes you have to operate with the idea of like, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later. Oh, that's not the way you do this? I I thought that was how you run a nonprofit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think more and more, I think that's the case. But I, you know, will and desire is a, in, in relationship and personality in trust, blind trust in some ways, because you and I didn't really know each other that well. You know, I was new. Um, our, we didn't work together that much. I didn't know a ton about the actual substance of the work either. Yeah. Um, that wasn't an area of expertise for me as I came into the agency. It turns out that was one of many that I wasn't in an area of expertise, but I think that's, you have to have some kind of faith and blind trust because you have a mutual end goal. Yeah. Yeah. And at, at, for us, it's participants, success of participants. Right. And I think that's true in mission driven organizations, regardless of your private sector or, or, you know, nonprofit or public, whatever mission driven, that's your bottom line has a couple lines under it because of that. So, um, you know, I think that's our, in thinking, learning, looking back and seeing the thing, the decisions that were made, the relationship built and the tools we were able to lever and push and pull, you know, our contracting tool was one of them. Our ability to be flexible despite in being operating in a highly regulated compliance oriented environment, we were able to say like, okay, we have some cash flow that we can put forward in risk basically uh, with low risk in that particular case. But that has helped feed in my thinking, you know, seeing the challenges, for example, in the city of Worcester's ARPA process and some of the smaller organizations that have struggled in the contracting process and why, or any really, any funding process, whether it's philanthropic, public, private. I mean, even though we're large, you know, we have multiple masters in the sense of like the compliance of things and the the boxes we have to check that do nothing to actually solve poverty. Um, and that I rant about regularly. But I think if you can find tools and levers in your organization, for us, contracting is one of them. Subcontracting is one of them. And can we, do we have a little bit of flexibility? And $10,000 was enough to make a difference. Um, we don't have millions of dollars to do that, but we have wiggle room to do that. And so I, that's where I think I want to, I'm hoping that our conversations and this idea of talking about this is lends itself to that f- flexibility and freedom in other organizations too. So because right. we have to address true structural inequities that exist if we're ever going to solve the things that we're mission driven for. So this is now we get into that's a that's a, a, a excellent point, and it, it then it starts making me think about um, there's a tremendous book. Um, it's called Winners Take All. I don't know if you've read that one. Um, and we'll get you the name, the author, and uh, the show notes um, because I can't pronounce his name. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> um, but essentially in the book, he's talking about the fact that um, philanthropy will not solve the issues uh, because the broader spectrum of philanthropy uh, really benefits in some ways from the systems that they would have to dismantle mm-hmm. in order. So it, he, he kind of gets at like, how do you take those, that type of funding and fund it into the community, into these, right. uh, these issues that would actually maybe cause those who are granting the funding or funding it to actually lose positions of power or lose positions of influence. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that on a very small scale, our partnership has kind of done some of that. Um, we sit here on the cusp of WCAC now saying the S, the Safe and Successful Youth Initiative, mm. of which you were the lead agency. Right. Yeah. You've identified, this isn't really our key right. area of focus. Yeah, that's um, a huge part it, of it. Right? Yeah. And so, uh, who could do this better? Yeah. Um, and as we speak today, the city of Worcester is going to take it on. Uh, but the reality of being able to look at that and say, we really shouldn't do this. Uh, there's probably someone that could do this better than us. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I think that goes to this, this whole conversation is, and I can't speak in absolute certain terms, but I'm confident enough to say that we ended up being the lead of SSYI because of the size of our organization. And, and my predecessor was a trusted individual um, and is a trusted, uh, well-respected individual that um, the city and the state felt confident that the grants would be administered appropriately. So there was, um, again, there was some blind trust there a little bit that the expertise, there, there is expertise. I don't want to, sure. I certainly don't want to diminish my team because there is expertise there. But from the perspective of the our span of work, this isn't an area of most strength for us, right? So recognizing that we our participants and that particular partnership would be beneficial if a, a different lead took the role. Um, and we, you know, we, sac- we, you know, we sacrifice some resources as a result of that, but I think it's hopefully will be ultimately for the better of the partnership and ultimately the participants. But we, we benefit sometimes from being a larger organization because we do have a strong, we have a great board of volunteers who, um, are compelled by strong governance and um, making sure that we're doing things financially responsibly, um, but also our mission-driven individuals too. And we have 21 seats of incredible volunteers, but that are serious about making sure that we are strongly governed. So, um, but in, as a result, we benefit from that. That's a huge backbone of our organization is our governance and our strong board and volunteerism. We have a strong finance office um, that has systems and so that just immediately automatically equates to trust. And so as a result, we sometimes get funding um, and have historically gotten funding that maybe we weren't the right, the, the number one expert in, you know, maybe we're number two or number three, which isn't a terrible thing. It's just, I think that tends to be the nature of what happens in funding sometimes. And as a result, smaller organizations have a harder time competing. Um, and they're either under-contracted, undervalued, or not granted at all um, because there isn't that so-called trust def- as defined um, by some of the structure. And I think that that structure is important. You have to, you know, you got to be compliant and make sure you're spending the money, especially if it's public money, you have to do it, a, you know, with the public trust that you're spending the money wisely and to the betterment of the end user of it. And in our cases, our clients and participants, but I do think that the process is inequitable because of that. So this is fascinating because literally before this uh, show, I was unveiling our new procedures for for the organization, right? Um, We are now at that point in our organization as we've grown that we recognize we have to implement a level of structure. It's not that we're not out here um, just willy-nilly doing whatever, but it's now as we continue to scale and grow and we get beyond the initial four, five, six, seven people that kind of understood how things worked, um, you need to implement some of these structures. And quite honestly, I have some reticence and I have some fear around it. Like I know I, we, we have to do it. I'm, I'm seeing where it can create inconsistencies mm-hmm. in, the, in the service delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see where it can create real harm um, both internally and externally when we don't have that framework of how we're going to interact. Um, but early on, you do need that level of flexibility yeah. to kind of an entrepreneurial mindset is where we were. Um, you're wearing multiple hats. You're, you're doing multiple things. One of the things, though, that you mentioned that I want to highlight, specifically here in the city of Worcester, is I'm aware of the history where organizations have been uh, accused and or there's alleged or put in a position where they may have been perceived as not using the finances correctly or managing these things correctly. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that history and being aware of it, for me, those were costs of doing business that I knew that we had to invest in even early on. And so making sure, because I have some finance background, but not managing a uh, now approaching a million dollar budget, right? I remember the first grant we got um, from the state with help from uh, another partner, Open Sky. 
Um, and it was like, we got $450,000 a year. And it was in the paper. Where, that's for the first time I learned that like when they show you the 1.3 yeah. million, that, that's just for the paper. Yeah. Like, I didn't have 1.3 million. It's <laughs> like signing an, like an NFL contract. Right. Like, right. Gonna, <laughs> you, you, if you do that, you might get yeah, this, right? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> this is all clickbait. Yeah. I didn't have this money. Yeah. Uh, and it really played out interesting with our participants too, because yeah. they thought we had this right. million yeah. dollars sitting around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it came down to, it is challenging to spend $450,000 yeah. mm-hmm. yep. to, to, to develop and Systems. grow a program and system mm-hmm. from scratch. Yeah. Staff it. Yeah. Structure it. And then have that money spent down in a way that allows you to still be uh, attractive for, for the funder and yeah. not be penalized for not. And right. that funder, the state was very, very... Um, understanding and forgiving and knowing where we were. They've been a tremendous partner uh, at DPH in doing this. Uh, but I just bring it up as a reality of like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, you know, before we started, we hit record, we were talking about um, like waste in our yeah. recycling Society system. And, yeah. yeah. And over-packaging. Over-packaging. And I think that's kind of where, what we're describing a little bit is you have, you have to, be in a bo- in a box safely, right? So, in you have to in the in the sense of spending other people's money, you know, no whether it's the public money or a philanthropic resources, there has you you do need structure because you have to do this responsibly no because doubt. you're. It, it, there, I always am trying to assume positive intent, right? So, there are mutual end goals that people want to meet, and how the challenge is the distortion that's happened in terms of how we get there. And I think that's where the overpackaging has happened. So we're um, overregulated, and I run a community action program. You know, we've been around for fifty-seven years, and I we have not solved poverty, right? What? Not, I know it's breaking. <laughs> what y'all doing? Breaking spoiler alert! Breaking news: We have not solved poverty. But the idea is that we wake up every day with the we we ought to try to make ourselves obsolete. Yeah. Um. At least that having that mindset, and that is my mindset. I don't necessarily want to be running a traditional community action agency because we are beholden to incredible regulatory barriers. So, you know, we have 16,474 fuel applications that came in this year uh, for households that are getting anywhere from a few hundred dollars to a thousand dollars of benefit. The transactional time that they spent applying for applications and the amount of staffing time we did in vetting in the due diligence of approving, I mean, that's just, we're not solving poverty doing that, you know? So I remember, I remember us having this conversation and being, I remember, um, I don't know if you remember, but I remember asking at one point, like for me, the question is why did 16,000 people need fuel assistance? Right. Like that, like that's more of the root right. question exactly. for me, right? Right. Like, yes. And then the hoops we force people to go through because I, while I do often believe in assume positive intent, I mean, I you sort of alluded to this in terms of um, keeping things the way they are for fear of loss of power. Is I I am the more I run this agency and the more I learn and the more I'm observing and paying attention to the dynamics surrounding and influencing the work that we do, is that there is an idea that I think that we want to keep people where they are, mm. and. Whether it's intentional or not, I mean, I do think there are systemic, uh, there's systemic racism, there are structural systemic issues that um, build the compliance reality that we face. And I do think that it, we, we do make it difficult for people to not just keep their head above water, but actually build a boat with them that they're building themselves with our help and sailing off, you know? Yeah. And that's, we, we use a lot of sailing boating water analogies at WCAC and none Hence of us, the ripple effect. None right? of us are actually right. sailors or water people that I know of. But um but I, I do I think that's part of it is you know in philanthropy is some I came from philanthropy. I worked at the Boston Foundation. I ran a, a workforce focused funder collaborative and sometimes I would show up in my office and there would be a seventy five thousand dollar check on my desk with no strings, which is incredible. Right. Uh, someone felt good about writing that check because they felt good about helping people. But it actually would have been helpful to have a conversation with that individual be like, well, what, like, what are you learning? Like, how can we share what we're learning with you so that this money can be tripled, doubled with partners and other funders and leveraged? And um, I think there's just a lot of missed opportunities there that we're not 
always taking advantage of. And I, I say we, I mean me. I mean, I'm hoping that this generates, you know, callers calling in saying like, hey, we're doing this. Like, we're doing it better than you. Yeah. Um, or we learned this lesson. And, you know, I just think the dynamics of large and small, um, trusted as defined by whoever versus unknown, I think those are all playing into things that need to change, frankly, you know? For sure. And I love what you said there because the fact of the matter is the idea for the, is that this probably is happening other places or if it's not, how can this conversation help inspire and or encourage uh, other nonprofits locally and beyond? Um, but also, like you said, folks to call in and say, hey, look, this was something we did. Um, how do we pull together that to really generate a shift and change in the way that things are going? Um, we see there's so much need um, in our city and beyond. It pent continues up. to increase. I think there's a there's this pent up palpable, and this can't just be true of our city. I think it's everywhere. I mean, there's so many things happening in the world, but I just, I really feel this sense of pent up, really palpable feeling of need for change in listening to people. And, you know, I think it's easy to be like, we should do this thing. We should do this and we're going to be great at it. And, you know, we're, it's, it's good for people and we're going to feel good about it. But I also, I'm real, we, that's not how we need to do this. Right. You know, we have to listen to each other. And I'm, I'm remembering, you know, being down the JEC sitting at that little table and, you know, me trying to fight to be like, hey, you should stay, you should just be an employee here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you you were patient and we were patient, but you know, I finally was like, oh, I'm, I gotta, I'm, I have, I'm hearing what he's saying, but I gotta listen a little bit more. And I think we need to just do that more in the community and there's, and work harder towards consensus, you know, like long-term goal, consensus and listening. And I think as a nonprofit and of both sizes, I think we have, some responsibility that compels us to have to do that. I think one of the other things too, um, I remember I remember that meeting sitting at that table. Um, we had a number of them. Yes, um, I was going to say, there's but, more than one. But yeah. one particularly for, for me that, that stood out and I think is important uh, for the conversation and smaller grass nonprofits to hear was at one point we whiteboarded what yeah. came to the table from mm -hmm. each organization. And um, recollection is never on point. So my recollection, my recollection is there were three columns of LL in like two things from WCDC. It's, I think that's a fair. This is close. That, that, that's close. That's how, yeah. that's how yeah. I remember. It was, pretty, it was pretty close. But the reason I bring it up was it was at that moment that it was outside that we had done that brainstorming that it landed like wow, we really do provide a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 I didn't, I didn't look at it as the, it, it was getting it outside of my head and seeing it on the whiteboard really spoke to what we really offer. And I think this comes back to the beginning of this conversation where you were saying, you just do, this is the right thing to do. Right. Um, why, why wouldn't you just do this? Um, and so all the things that we were doing and being able to whiteboard it really, that was a real shift to be like, we really do bring a lot. And so for the smaller grass news nonprofits, it really is. You might not have the infrastructure um, and, you know, the, the board yet. Um, but what you provide as a small grassroots is very, very important and in some ways can't be matched by the larger institutions for various different reasons. Right. And so to the idea of this conversation of how do we partner together and how do you accentuate each other's strengths in the spaces to be able to impact community is a very worthy conversation and one that I want to bring forward and also highlight for those smaller nonprofits that um, there a lot of value. Just your, your value is not just in your budget line item, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it is in that impact that, as we know, um, that day-to-day. -day. And when you're that small, a lot more of your work is relational and not as transactional. This is one of the fears I have as we continue to grow. Like, how do we maintain, I don't get to do, which is natural, obviously, as we grow, um, but I don't do direct service yeah. anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then how do I develop? Stay grounded in that. Stay yeah. grounded in that work. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think um, it. you're recalling something for me in the recent sort of um, 
news pieces and articles about the city's ARPA process. Um, so for those who might not know, ARPA yes. is the American, oh, American Rescue, Rescue Plan, Plan Act, Plan and Act, this was yes. uh, funding that uh, uh, Uncle Joe had put yes. together for folks as a response to yes. COVID. A uh, number of cities in uh, America got this, if not all of them got this. In Worcester, uh, got about $146 million. Something like that, close to that. Yeah. Uh, but then they carved out $10 million specifically for community projects yes. um, to yeah. be applied for through an RFR. And that's the process yeah. that Mary Beth's referring to. And I think the city got, not to even talk about the city process per se, um, they, I think they got caught up in a challenging way to give funding too, you know? Um, but I one there was an article that I was quoted in in terms of acknowledging and um, sort of re- related to this conversation, acknowledging it and recognizing the frustration that some of the nonprofits that weren't funded were feeling. Um, and there was a comment in quoted, I can't rem- recall who it was that was quoted, but that, uh, and it wasn't directed at WCAC per se, um, but that larger organizations don't know community as well. And I agreed with like 98% of everything the article was talking about, but that 2% was, and I was like, no, we know, we know our community. We're, we're community action. We've been around for 57 years. I fourth generation kid from Worcester. Like I know the community, you know? And then I, but I had to think about it. I actually have sat back a lot and thought about this and that, and this is part of what's driving how we've talked to our board about our plan that I'm also calling the ripple effect to our board. But, um, you know, how are we thinking about our role here? Because we, there's more we can learn. And we, you know, there are, to what you were just saying, people who are, are closer to the ground in, you know, by zip codes and house numbers and people and trusted um, from the ground up that we can learn from. And that I hope there's agreement that we can mutually support each other in this kind of work. Um, but just have to open the doors a little bit. And so I, while I, at first I took a little umbrage at the comment, I was like, well, I know community. I know, I know the challenges we're constantly assessing. We're listening. To, we're with clients, thousands of clients uh, weekly. But I, 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 and thinking, I was like, no, we, there's more that we have to mutually learn too. So I think, I think that reflection is super dope uh, that you were willing to do that. This is something that me personally, I've been trying to be more aware of. And, um, if, if someone says something to me uh, or I read something and I get defensive, um, I, I, I want to get curious about what am I trying to protect, Yeah. right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the fact that I got defensive means that there's a vulnerability or you're getting at yeah. something that I don't want you to get to. Um, or that you know, you know, when, you, when someone points out a flaw in you and you get mad about it because you kind of know it's true. So check you know? it out. So check it out. <laughs> yeah. Last week, yeah. this is so prevalent. I was meeting with uh, my direct report and, you know, at the end, one of our values here is keep it 100 and feedback is an opportunity for growth. So at the, what feedback do you have for me? Like, what could I be yeah. doing better? And she said, you need to be more organized. And so I politely said to her, thank you. But in my head, I'm like, get the frick out of here. You don't know what I'm responsible for. You don't know what I do. You better shut up, man. Talking about I need to be more organized. I got to worry about money coming, all this coming out. And so it took some time for me to yeah. uh, slow down and realize that the defensiveness was around what I made up was she didn't appreciate what I do. Mm, mm-hmm. That's not what she said. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and she was absolutely right. My desk was, mm-hmm. as any executive director yeah. I think knows, is you got seven, 18 different projects going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, my personality is one that literally from my Cl- Cl- Clifton strength says unsystematic. Mm-hmm. And so uh, working with... Um, Bingo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this uh, direct report is very systematic. So she's mm-hmm. a real gift to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ability to... And this is where I, you were talking about personality, mm. I think is important, is that willingness to be self-reflective mm-hmm. and to think of that. Because if not, I'm going to react out of that defensiveness, right. that self-awareness, that emotional intelligence that uh, that you had in that moment, I had in this smaller moment, to be able to hold that and say, really, what's going on with me before I proceed and um, address maybe what needs to happen or what's yeah. going on. And so I think that's a huge piece, even in this conversation within our city and, and broader, uh, about how do we engage difficult conversations? Yeah. Because this stuff is messy. There's a lot of things that are overlapping. Reality is, we are dealing with money. And so um, the reality is if an organization comes in 
and uh, funding goes there that now came out of your budget that does impact Mm -hmm. your organization. But can you have those conversations proactively? Can you have those conversations in a way that would allow both entities or organizations to operate for the betterment of the participants in the community? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge that we have to face. So um, that's what we're hoping to do. Um, this is the crux of the ripple effect. Uh, this is the, we need a sound effect for that. Like, that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a cat. Mary okay. Beth. I don't. I didn't get. I didn't get water from that one. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. So that's better. Um, and so um, we ask you to tune back in. Uh, we'll be talking more next week. We'll talk a little bit more. Um, in our next show about how Mary Beth came into the nonprofit work um, and what nonprofit really is for listeners that may be listening in. I think there are sometimes some misconceptions mm. around mm-hmm. what a yes. nonprofit actually is and yes. what it does. Yep. Uh, you are actually running a business. You're running a business. You with are a, a different CEO. Tax code. Right. Yes. You are a yes. CEO. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can feel that uh, we're, you're not getting that same respect. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about, about more in the next episode um, and continue on with this. Really hoping to encourage you and inspire you all uh, to look at innovative and creative ways to solve community problems locally, internationally, nationally, uh, through creative conversations and innovative solutions. And that's what we're hoping to do here on The Ripple Effect. And- Our nonprofit imperative. And so we'll also be um, adding additional things to the podcast as you go. If you're looking on our camera now, it's pretty bare bones. Uh, but we're set up in a room that we just got literally uh, June 1st. Uh, we signed on to... Uh, oh, expansion. Yeah, this is oh, an expansion, expansion to our space. Yeah, And awesome. so okay. it, is, it is very raw. Um, but we'll ask you to stay along for the ride. We'll be adding um, different um, aesthetics to it as well. We hope to have... Uh, not just Mary Beth and I, yeah, but we hope to have some guests uh, to continue to have work. this conversation and a part of this work. Uh, and we really invite you to also comment and follow and like and subscribe on all the things that we're doing because we want to hear from you as well and learn from you. Um, we don't claim to have it all figured out, um, but we're just hoping to be a catalyst for a, a conversation. Catalyst. Yeah, 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 for a conversation. So in, in the ripple effect, we're just hoping to be a drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket. Yeah. Oh, a drop in the bucket. A drop in the yes, bucket. That's the a name. Drop First the episode, a that's drop it. in the bucket. That's it. A drop in the bucket. That'll be the theme throughout all the episodes. <laughs> We're going to struggle by episode four, but. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time uh, here on The Ripple Effect. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, co-hosts. You as well. Ron Waddell. Mary Beth Campbell. And again, those fuchsia pumps, really. I got to bring it next time. You know what I'm saying? I got to go shoe shopping. I got to go. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you next time on The Ripple Effect. Thank you. You're listening to The Ripple Effect, a nonprofit imperative with Ron Waddell and Mary Beth Campbell. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. We'll see you on the next one.